2nd Corinthians chapter 11 part 2 of a message titled a concern for faithfulness and we began this message last week talking about how Paul is now saying his goodbye in this epistle to the church of Corinth the second epistle and he's ready to close this letter out but as he's ready to close this letter out he wants to demonstrate and be very transparent He's opening up his heart for them and he's letting them know that he's concerned for their faithfulness now in a time where there would be crisis. And I think this is so relevant for us today because even right now as the way we find ourselves in maybe a middle of a crisis or a trial or a season of uncertainty now, there should be a concern for faithfulness in our hearts. And if there's one thing that we've learned already from Paul is that Paul was not a people pleaser, he was a God pleaser, and because he was a God pleaser, he was committed to the truth. You see, when you are committed to the Lord, and you want to please the Lord only, and He is the focus of who you want to please God, then you will be fully committed to the truth as well. And we saw that Paul was committed to the truth. We saw that Paul's heart was concerned for their faithfulness, through, through three major ways. Number one, through a godly jealousy, then through a sincere ministry, and also through a consistent way. A godly jealousy, a sincere ministry, and a consistent way. Now we notice in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians what it means to have a godly jealousy. This is what Paul had for the church of Corinth, a godly jealousy. Now, this wasn't any type of jealousy, but it was a jealousy where he came to them as a spiritual father now that was spiritually protective over them and over the church. He was concerned now. He was burdened with their spiritual warfare. He had a heart that was heavy. He wanted them to be pure. He wanted them to be holy. He wanted them to remain faithful in the Lord as he's closing this letter because there is nothing more important in the trial than our faithfulness and in our purity to God. Holiness is so important. In fact, there was a pastor named George Viewer that said this, the important point is where you are today in terms of holiness. The important point is where you are today in terms of holiness. How important is holiness? And he's telling them, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I've given you over as a bride to the Lord now to be betrothed or engaged or you are promised. You're separated unto the Lord and you are to remain chaste or pure, faithful, holy, unadulterated. Leonard Ravenhill says this, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make that man holy and put him back into the unholy world and keep him holy in it. <laughs> I'm going to repeat that for you because it's so heavy. The most greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make that man holy and put him back into an unholy world and keep him holy in it. You see, our holiness is so important. And that's exactly what Paul was telling the church, that he was concerned for their holiness. 
He was concerned for the holiness of the church. He was concerned with the faithfulness of the church because he knew that in times of trial, that as he closed this letter, that the purity and the faithfulness of the church would come under attack. And now even as we're in this season, that we understand that there are certain areas of our life that are coming in under attack, specifically and, and, and possibly our spiritual walk with the Lord. But the most important point is where you are today in terms of holiness. And that's exactly why Paul was saying, I am concerned with a godly jealousy. And his fear was is that their mind would be corrupted unto the world now. And they would start to accept this deception from false apostles and from false teachings. And they would be a victim of Satan's main tool, which is deception. And that's why we have to protect our mind from deception. We have to say, Lord, I want a pure mind, an undivided mind, a mind that is devoted, a mind that has an attention only to the Lord, and a mind that has not strayed away, that does not lose the simplicity in Christ. What is the simplicity in Christ? That Christ is sufficient and Christ is supreme. He is enough. There are a lot of times in our life where we think we need Christ plus something else. No, Christ is enough. It is Christ alone, He is sufficient, and He is supreme. And He's reminding them, I want you to stay holy from these outside influences and teachings that you would remain obedient to the Lord and accept no other different false teaching. Why? Because today, church, we will either stand on what is true or we will be led by what is false. I want to ask you right now, are you standing on what is true or are you being led by what is false? Paul told us in Philippians, as he wrote to the church in Philippians chapter 4, that the peace of God would guard your heart and guard your mind. The peace of God that we need today to guard our heart and mind, it would, it would guard it as we meditate on whatever th things are true. Do you notice how truth is the number one focus that Paul asked the church to meditate on in the time of trial? Don't meditate on what's entertaining. Don't meditate on what's a new story. Meditate on what is true. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And that's what's important here that he's telling them to maintain purity and holiness and accept no other way but the truth that they've already received. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.21, again, he appeals to truth. And today, what's dangerous about it is, is that we like to entertain anything that we hear that can quite possibly give us an answer, an opportunity, or an opinion. And we turn on the news and the TV, or we hear someone's opinion, and we take it, and we, we allow that to now dictate our peace and to dictate our joy. And very quickly, we become very fearful people because we moved away from the truth and what we know and we stand on the Word of God. In Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he says this, Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. I want to encourage you right now in this season, write it down in your Bible, in your notebook. Test all things. If I hear something, I'm going to test all things and I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to cling to what is good. I'm not going to cling to what is evil. I'm not going to cling to a rumor. I'm going to cling to what is good. And I'm going to test everything that I hear according to the word of God. He then tells them, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. 
make you holy completely and that your whole spirit and soul and body, everything that you are, may be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. You see why holiness is so important? In fact, without Christ, holiness is not possible. Without Christ, holiness is not possible. That's exactly why we need Him to give us the truth to test all things and abstain from evil. Adrian Rogers, an evangelist, once said this, Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. And that's exactly why we need Jesus. That we would hold fast to the truth. And now as He's told them, I'm concerned about your holiness. Pay attention because we're going to go through the two other main points as to how he's concerned now for their faithfulness. And it is found now in verse 5. Would we read verse 5 together as we know that not only he had a godly jealousy, but he also had a sincere ministry. The second idea and point as to why Paul was concerned or how he was concerned for their faithfulness was through a sincere ministry. Sincerity, authenticity. He was the real deal. He was not fake. It says here in verse 5, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself, that you should be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, notice that, when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren that who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, so I will keep myself from being a burden. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Because today you can speak to us about our purity and we can speak to us about our faithfulness to you. And I pray, Lord, that through this godly jealousy that Paul already mentioned, now that we would learn from his sincere ministry and that we also would be, we would be sincere, that, that love would be without hypocrisy, that love would be authentic, that love would be genuine. That love would be real, Lord. That we back up what we say when we love people. That love would be an action word, just like faith is in activity. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, wherever you are at right now, amen. So it says here that Paul had a sincere ministry now. And he's going to give us a contrast from verses 5 through 11 in regards to how his ministry was sincere in comparison to the ministry of false apostles. The reason why he's saying this is because he wants them now to believe in the ministry, in the care, and in the concern that he has for the church. Now let's remember that this church, the church of Corinth, was rejecting Paul as an apostle, claiming him to be a false apostle. Therefore, in this chapter and throughout this entire letter, he is defending his integrity. And now he says, I am concerned. I have given you over to the Lord with a godly jealousy, but I want you to know how sincere I've been. Now he says in verse 5, I consider that I am not at all, not at all inferior. I am not less than the most eminent apostles, or you can write there next to that word, than the super apostles. <laughs> 
And these apostles that he's referring to were the popular apostles. Or these were the apostles now that were coming with a self-promoting message. These were the apostles that wanted to draw men according to themselves. These were the apostles that were false teachers. And these were the apostles that were being accepted. But the reason why they were being accepted, because they were so sophisticated, they were into themselves, they, they, they brought in a brand of, of what an apostle was supposed to look like, and they, they uh, were very uh, now trained in oratory speech now, and sophisticated, and Paul wasn't like that. In fact, it tells us that, that Paul was a short man, and, and he was bald, and he didn't look in any way attractive, right? Some would say he had a face for radio, right? <laughs> Paul, a man, that he didn't, there was nothing impressive about him. Nothing impressive. But notice how he says in verse 6, even though I am untrained in speech, I'm not less, even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. I might not have the education when it comes to speech or oratory or public speaking. However, when it comes to knowledge, I am well-versed. We know that Paul, that Paul he was... Uh, just a, a, a scholar when it came to the law. He, he had a sh knowledge in regards to what it meant to be able to teach the truth. Not only that, he had a revelation of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9. When Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle and he saw the Lord. He had a vision of the Lord. He met the Lord. He was commissioned by God. So therefore he reminds them, I am not lacking when it comes now to knowledge. I might not look attractive, however, I'm giving you the truth. And I want you to appeal to truth instead of what's attractive. I want to ask you today, are you appealing to what is true instead of what is attractive? We have a tendency of wanting to appeal to what is popular instead of what is faithful. Today, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, that at the end of this season, at the end of our life even, when it comes to our spiritual walk, that we would desire to be faithful versus being popular. That's an example that Paul gives us. In fact, he says it here, I, I, I am not in knowledge, but we have thoroughly manifested among you in all things. I love this. And I have clearly showed you that I am knowledgeable. I have clearly shown you the revelation that I have of Jesus Christ in all things. I have manifested you. I have not kept anything back. I've made it manifest among you. I've made it very clear and transparent. And notice how it says this, in many things. You know, one of the things that Paul was very noted for is transparency. But in many things, he says. In fact, he says, you've known my knowledge, you've known my heart in many things. You know how clearly I've made it. And I've made it known that I've given myself sacrificially over to you in many things. And I know the Lord, and that's what's important. That's what makes my message effective. Not that I am trained in public speaking, but because I know Jesus, that's what makes the message effective. The New Living Translation says this, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but look what he says, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. You know, these other now speakers were really admired because of their entertaining approach, because of their sophisticated approach. And Paul didn't come with entertainment. He came with the truth. I want us to be able to really 
focus on this. Because now and from verse 7 and 8, look what he says as he's showing them his sincerity. First he showed them his, their, his godly jealousy that he was, he was protective over their holiness and purity. But now look at the sincerity. I am not in this for myself. In fact, verse 7, it says, Did I commit sin? Because they thought it was a sin that he did not want to receive a love offering or wages for bringing them the gospel. And they said, you know what? He, he must not be a real apostle because he doesn't accept now our wages. He doesn't get paid. <laughs> How is it that he can be real? Because he doesn't get paid like everyone else. So he, he must not be a real apostle. In fact, they considered it sin, what Paul was doing. Some. And look what it says in verse 7, But did I commit sin in humbling myself, that you might be exalted, because I preach you the gospel to you free of charge? Now, notice this. He's letting them in to his motives. Because motives are important when you're serving others. And he's allowing them to realize that I serve without an ulterior motive. I humble myself so that you would be exalted. I serve sacrificially. I serve selflessly for your benefit. And I, and I love this because he's, he's teaching us here, although he was despised in ministry, although he served them and he met their spiritual needs without an expectation, he's teaching them how to humble yourself to serve others. Isn't that amazing? Well, did I commit sin? Do you think it was really sin? He's telling them in verse 7 that I humbled myself so that you would be exalted. The word exalted means that you would be lifted up out from sin and out from idolatry. There's nothing more beautiful than when you are serving someone and that you humble yourself. And you say, you know what? My motives are purely for the fact of their spiritual benefit. I just want to see them be exalted and lifted up from that life of being dead in sin to alive in Jesus Christ. That was the entire focus of Paul. Without expecting anything in return, he said, I'm humbling myself to honor others. That is true service. And the way that I did this is by preaching the gospel without an ulterior motivation that I was going to receive anything. Because our compensation is not in what we receive when we serve the Lord by man, but it's knowing that it's from the Lord. And you see how he's showing them, listen, I, I do have a heart for you, and I'm going to tell you exactly why. <laughs> I'm going to share with you a little bit of a history. I'm going to remind you that when I came to serve you, it was, it, there was no physical benefit for me. I did it for your spiritual benefit. And in verse 8, he tells us this, I robbed of their churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. Isn't this just, this is a very strong word that he uses. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them so that I can minister to you. See, the word robbed that he's referring to, it's in its classical Greek form, robbed, was used when you stripped now a dead soldier of his armor. You went and you stripped the dead soldier from his armor. That was the word that we use now, stripping away from a dead soldier, from the weak, from the vulnerable. Now their armor taking it from them. And what he's mentioning here is that I, I actually received from the weaker churches. I received from the more vulnerable churches. So therefore, I didn't have to take from you because I was interested more in now my integrity than in my own personal needs. 
Because he did not want to give them a reason to just classify him or to group him or to put him in the same now lane as these other false apostles. He wanted to say, no, my integrity is more important. And he said here, I robbed other churches now in verse 8, taking wages from them to minister to you. And and when I was present with you and in need. Now he was receiving from the weaker churches. Which one are the weaker churches? It was the church of Philippi, the smaller church, the weaker church, the church with less resources. He was receiving from them so that he can go out to the church of Corinth and tell them the truth about what the real message of Jesus Christ was. And he's saying, if I, if I have to relinquish, if I have to give up from receiving now this compensation that is rightly due to Paul in order to show them what a real, true sincere ministry looks like than I will because his intentions were sincere and he's saying I'm going to go with an approach of not being a burden I want to be a blessing wasn't this amazing for us to be able to to, to, to have that mindset that mentality how can I come to be a blessing not a burden see when you get people that, that come to serve the Lord in the body of Christ and even us as we're serving our families maybe right now And you're serving with no expectation. But the only thing that you want is to please the Lord. Because you're standing on the truth. You are a blessing to those people. And that's exactly what Paul wanted. In fact, he says in verse 9, And when I was present with you and in need. Notice that. I want you to underline, when I was present with you and in need. (laughs) Because he was in need. And guess what? He was still present. (laughs) You know, he was serving in the trial. He was serving in the need. He did not have the resources at times when he was serving the Lord. He, he was maybe short of resources at times. He didn't know where he was going to, to how, what he was going to live off of. But he was still present and he was in need. He sometimes didn't have enough to live on, but he still did not become a burden to them. In fact, it says that when he didn't have enough to, to live on, it says, uh, I was a burden to no one. Even then I was a burden to no one. Why was he not a burden to anyone here? For what I lack, the brethren who came to me from Macedonia supplied it. From that church of Philippi. They supplied, that little church supplied my needs. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so, I will keep myself. Do you notice how Paul, when he was now reminding them and, and thinking back as to how he did ministry. He's thinking, well, you know, when I was present and when I was in need now, I wasn't a burden to you. In fact, the church in Macedonia brought me from afar. They sent me offerings so that I can live off of that and I can continue ministering to you. And, and, and that's the way I kept myself and that's the way I will keep myself from becoming a burden. Because I'm fully dedicated. And there are some times that he did receive from people. Other times, church history and Paul tells us that he was a tent maker. Therefore, he was just able to supply for his own needs. To be able to maintain an integrity before the church. And not be a burden. He did not want to become a responsibility for the church. He saw it as a privilege to serve them. And I want you to know, serving is a privilege. And that's exactly why we want to put ourselves in a position where we are a blessing to the body of Christ. And he's saying here, I am not here to be served. I'm here to serve because I love people. Do you notice that? 
because I love you. That's what the sincerity of his ministry came from that, that he loved people. And every opportunity that Paul used, he used it to serve people in a blameless way. You see, this whole thing about a concern for faithfulness through a sincere ministry is Paul opening up his heart and showing them, this is how much I've always loved you. You can't effectively serve someone that you do not love. You cannot do it. You won't do it with the right mentality. You won't do it unconditionally. You will not do it sacrificially. You won't do it now selflessly. You will not suffer long without love. You will not be patient. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And notice this, to give His life. And Paul is saying, he's reminding the church, I have given my life up for you. I have given my life up for you. This is so amazing here as we read it. Because we started, we're starting to realize that, that Paul, not only did he have a sincere heart for this ministry, but he's demonstrating his love for them. He loved them. He wanted to serve them. And it tells us here, even as we continue reading in verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, just like Christ is in me. And again, what is it appeal, appealing to? To truth, not to emotion. Just as the truth of Christ is in me, I am confident that Christ is in me. No one will stop me or no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. No one's ever going to stop me here in all of Greece, in all this region, from boasting as to how I've served you. You will not stop me from allowing you or reminding you of how I have served you. And what, what was he boasting in? He was boasting in a ministry where he wasn't a burden to them, where he didn't receive that compensation. And for him, it was as a badge of honor. Because he didn't get compared like the other false apostles who were in it to be able to receive compensation for the money, to rip people off, to lead them astray, to not give them the truth. In fact, again, he was interested more in integrity than in his own personal needs. What are you interested in more in? Because he wasn't using that platform for himself. He wasn't using that arena to serve himself. He was using every opportunity to serve them. Why? Because he loved them. And notice that in verse 10 it tells him this, And as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from boasting about this in the regions of Achaia. Why? Why do you think that? Verse 11. Why do you think that no one's going to stop me? Because I don't love you and he's being sarcastic. You think that I don't love you in, in this way? You think that, that I'm boasting because I really don't love you and have this false sense of love towards you? No, that's not why. Listen to this in verse 11. And I want you to underline this. God knows. You think I don't love you? God knows. And I'm going to be accountable to God. But how not only did I serve you, but also how I loved you. And here what he's doing is saying, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to live selflessly because I love you. And he wanted them to see that. He wanted them to see that. He wanted them to be able to see and appreciate his love for them. In fact, they did not appreciate it. You know what the saddest thing is? That sometimes we don't appreciate the sacrifices that other people do for us. 
And maybe someone is serving you around in your life right now. We're not appreciating those sacrifices that others do for us. And I'm going to ask you this. Are you appreciating it? Or are you willing to sacrifice as well for others even when they don't thank you? Because that's exactly how Paul is serving. Even when someone doesn't say thank you, are you still willing to serve them? He's exposing now his motivations, and at the same time, he's now exposing the motivations of others. And not only was he, was he a sincere ministry, not only does this show his sincerity, but now he's going to give us the third reason now as to how and as to why he was concerned for their faithfulness. How was he, he going to do this? Well, he was going to do this with a godly jealousy. He was going to do this because he had a sincere ministry and he loved them. But also he was doing this in a consistent way. He was concerned for their faithfulness in a consistent way. And he says this in verse 12. Notice this. God knows I love you. I'm accountable to God for how I love you. Verse 12. But what I do, I will also continue to do. Wow. That's heavy. That shows and that comes from a man, from a person that is fully devoted, is single-minded, and is committed. What I do, I will also continue to do. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue to continue to serve you. Isn't this amazing here that Paul is telling them this? He was doing it in a consistent way. This is the third reason, church. The third reason, in a consistent way. What I do, I will continue to do. Why? Because he's sure of his calling. Write that in your Bible. He is sure of his calling. So therefore, he's not going to ask him to remain faithful if he's not willing to remain faithful. And here he's telling them, I'm going to remain faithful now. I'm going to continue to serve you in this way, blamelessly, sacrificially now. I will continue to be holy as well before the Lord because I love you. I will continue to do this. You know what I love this about Paul is that he wasn't looking for a change of calling when things got hard. Things got hard, they're rejecting me, they're despising my ministry. Paul could have said, I, I don't even get compensated by these people and I still have to put up with them. <laughs> Think about everything he's undergoing and the persecution now. And after all of that, he's saying, I will continue to do it. He didn't say, you know what, well, I'm going to look for something else to do now. You see, character is always formed in crisis. And you see the character that was revealing in the crisis here for Paul. There are times that sometimes, you know what, we're serving the Lord, things get hard. Well, I don't want to serve the Lord anymore. Or that the church has too much commitment for me, so then I'm going to go to that church and, and serve over there. Or, you know, it got hard, so I'm just going to disappear. Or I'm going to go one place or another. And, and we're so unstable. But we see here now from, from Paul, stability. You see foundation here. He's not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to do it here. And look what he says in verse 12 as he continues to say this. That I, will, I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity, so that I, as I do this, I will also cut off the opportunity from the false apostles as they seek an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. You know, as I'm living a life of integrity, what I'm also doing is I'm exposing now the ulterior motives of those that are false. I'm exposing 
Because the truth in Him, the Christ in Him, would allow the church to see the false in others. See, the reason sometimes why people cannot come to the Lord or don't want the light is because when they compare it to darkness, it doesn't look any different. And he's telling this, no, when you look at my life, I, I want there to be so, it be so filled with transparency, and I want it to be so filled with light that exposes darkness around us. I'm going to continue to do it this way, so it exposes now the false apostles, because light always exposes darkness. And the truth in the ministry of Paul was going to surface so that the church can see and it would have cut off the opportunity of those false apostles that were going to come and give them deception now. You see, in fact, you know what's false because of how much you handle the truth. You know, from working at a bank myself, I, I, I remember in my early years of banking that as I started in dealing with, with money and, and, and handling always in my, in my hands during work that, that, that you were never trained now with any type of false bills or money to allow you to understand what, what the false looked like. You never were trained with any of the false bills. You were always trained with the real. So that when the false came through your hands, you were able to detect it immediately. Never did they give you and put a false bill in your hand. They always gave you the true, the real, the authentic. So that when the fake came, you were able to say, well, this is not real. And I still remember the day when something false came through my hands. And I was able to detect it, to feel it. Because I knew how to handle, I've been handling, I was so familiar with my hands. I had been handling the truth all along. You know how you detect the falses? Because you're handling the truth all along. And he's saying, those false apostles are looking for an opportunity to compare themselves with me. I'm going to give them no opportunity. And I'm going to still live in integrity. Notice verse 13. For such are false apostles. They're deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. That's what false apostles, that's what deceitful workers do. False apostles and deceitful workers, notice this, they transform themselves. Why is that word transform important? And I want you to maybe jot a note down to transform themselves. Because it means to change in appearance. A false teaching, a false apostle, a false doctrine now, false even news, is not going to come to you packaged in false. It's going to come transformed as if it were true. But it's not. And that's exactly what he's saying. The word transform means to change in appearance. It's, to, it's meaning these false apostles are claiming to be something that they're not. They're fake. They're disguising themselves. You know what they, that's called now? Even in the financial world? Of those that desire to come and commit fraud? Impersonators. And these false apostles are impersonators impersonating to be apostles of Christ. They're impersonators. They come and they come dressed as an apostle, they come now maybe sounding like an apostle, but they're impersonators. And you know what they do? You know what, you know what false impersonators do? You know what the saying has an agenda for his false ministers and apostles and, and, and all around in our world and our culture? For deception. But these imposters, what they do is they, they commit spiritual fraud. Spiritual fraud. You know what spiritual fraud is? Is when they, they steal 
They steal from you peace, from joy, and they steal the truth from the hearts and minds of people. You see the imposter, you see the fake all around us. You turn the TV and you see false. And sometimes we are led away, we're led astray from that false now maybe announcement or opinion that is dressed or masqueraded, disguised as if it were true. And you know what it does? It steals away your peace. It steals away your joy. And it looks to steal away the truth from you. But it's coming in a, in a form that is transformed now. It's transformed. Notice here in verse 13, they, they are now transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And He is so diligent and faithful to let them know. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul told Timothy, young Timothy, to do one thing. He says, in fact, he tells him here, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word. Write that down in word. An example in truth. I want you to be an example when it comes to truth, not an example when it comes to false. I want you to raise a banner of truth. That's the word of God that we should be standing on right now, church. Because we are being led by the spiritual fraud and the imposters of this world that is looking to come into the church and in the world and steal away the joy, the peace, the truth, um, everything that the Lord has in mind for you, your calling. And He says, I want you to be an example in truth, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Can you today choose to be an example to people in truth, not in fear? Be an example to them when it comes to your conduct, when it comes to your love, when it comes to your spirit, your faith, and your holiness, your purity. And then he tells us here in verse 14 now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, And no wonder, this is not a surprise for him, as he's serving in a consistent way. What I do, I will continue to do, to give to light to these false apostles, because when I stand up for the truth, everyone will see the lies. No wonder they transform themselves. Verse 14, for saying himself transforms himself into the angel of light. I, I hope and pray that you have that highlighted and underlined in your Bible that you are ready. No wonder it's not a surprise to him that false apostles disguise himself because Satan also disguises himself and transforms himself. He masquerades himself into the angel of light and, to, and he pretends to be a messenger of the truth. It's so sad how many young people are being ripped off even in college campuses of the truth. Because it's masqueraded as it's an angel of light. Look at this is the truth. And people walk around being lied to. And even today, even not only young people, but you look around and you turn on the television and it's masqueraded. The enemy is not going to come looking like an enemy. Sometimes it's going to come looking like an angel of light. So beautiful. So beautiful. You know what he's, he's showing them as well? He's showing the Corinthians that how foolish it is, Corinthians, to rely on an outward appearance. Because they didn't like Paul because of his outward appearance. He's showing them how foolish it is to rely on an outward appearance. How foolish is it for us today to rely on an outward appearance? Or to be taken by someone's image? When we know that the enemy transforms himself into something that he's not. He transforms himself into the angel of light. Something that is beautiful. Something that is deceiving and look what it tells us here now verse 15 as we end therefore 
It, it is no great thing if his ministers, it's not a surprise that his followers, that his ministers, that his servants, these false apostles, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. And whose end will be what? Destruction. They will be held accountable for the deception that they brought upon people. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter tells us about false apostles and the apostasy that would be taking place in the church. It says, but there were also false apostles among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them out and bring on themselves a swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you. They will rob you, these false apostles, with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. Their judgment has been now reserved for them. And their destruction does not slumber. Notice that at the end, this false deception, they will have to be accountable to them. These false apostles and this apostasy, this lie, this deception. This is so important for us to know because these are the strategies of Satan. And today more than ever, as we're living in the last days, and if you believe that we're living in the last days, which you should believe that as you're reading your Bible, is that the strategies are, of Satan are that he would transform himself. There, there are sometimes, like in verse 3 of the chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, where he says that the, the, ser, the angel came as a, ser, a serpent. You know what that means? He, he usually transforms himself, the devil, into three things. A subtle serpent, a roaring lion, or an angel of light. The Bible describes them in those three ways. And it's important for us to have victory over the enemy. For us to know the enemy so we can have victory over the enemy. The enemy comes like a subtle serpent. What does a subtle serpent do? He twists the words. Deception. Trickery. The strategies of Satan that he would come as a subtle serpent, also like a roaring lion. How does he come when he comes as a roaring lion? In, in 1 Peter 5a, he says, But beware, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, comes like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If he doesn't come as a subtle serpent to trick you, he's going to come as a roaring lion to devour you, destroy you. But if he doesn't come as those two things, he's going to come as the angel of light. And he's going to come as a deceiver. He's going to come in the name of the church and disguise himself. And that's what these false teachers did. They came in the name of now the word and the name of the truth, but they were bearing false. And you know what was happening here is that he, they were coming now to corrupt the word and to compromise the word, to twist the word. The attack of the enemy, I want you guys to know this as we're ending. We're going to have three last points, but as we're ending, is that the attack of the enemy is directly against, and please remember this, the attack of the enemy is directly against your relationship with Jesus Christ. To take you out of the will of God. He wants to take you out of the will of God with deception. So that he attacks your prayer life. So that he attacks your spiritual life. That is his main goal. So therefore, what can I do today? How can I be encouraged today? How can I draw encouragement for today? Let me give you three major points as we end this service this morning. Well, number one, keep yourself holy. This is what he's already told us in the last 15 verses. Number one, 
Keep yourself holy. Would you write that down in your Bible? Keep yourself holy. And next to that, write Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Christ or of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, give evidence, that you may stand to what is good or true and acceptable and what is the perfect will of God. If there's anything that we need to be doing right now in this season, I, I don't want you to remember this. If there's anything that you need to be doing is keeping yourself holy. Because this is a time, it's a high time. It's a time of deception. Therefore, keep yourself holy. Keep yourself separate to God. Number one, keep yourself holy. Number two, keep yourself, notice this, keep yourself faithful. That's exactly what he's appealing to, their faithfulness. In Ephesians 6.10, it says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and the power of His might put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. The strategies of the devil. Could you be faithful today to the armor of God? That you would say, not only am I going to keep myself holy, I'm also going to keep myself faithful. Faithful to the Lord, faithful to the armor of God. Understanding that the wiles of the devil, that the strategies are saying, are active today. Therefore, I'm called. I am called. You have a responsibility to keep yourself holy, to keep yourself faithful. And number three, and this is, I love this one, to keep yourself in the truth. Keep yourself in the truth. What is the truth? The Word of God. Keep yourself holy. Keep yourself faithful. Keep yourself in the truth. Psalms 119 verse 9 says, But how can a young man cleanse his way? By keeping or taking heed according to your word. According to your word. That's how you can cleanse your way. That's how you can be in the truth. Keep yourself in the truth. Because a man and a woman, notice this, that is in the word of God, a man and a woman that's in the word of God will always have an answer ready for the devil in the moment of temptation. Jesus had an answer from the Word of God in the moment of temptation. He was ready with an answer. And too many times the church is silent today because the world is speaking deception, but is the church speaking truth? Are you speaking truth? Today, what matters most in our world, in our time, is truth. Do you know truth? You've kept yourself holy, kept yourself faithful, and keep yourself in the truth, church. Keep yourself in the truth. Because the sheep, the sheep are never so safe as when they are as close to the shepherd. The sheep are never as safe as when they are close to the shepherd. Keep yourself in the truth. Can we pray? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth. We ask right now by the power of your spirit that you would just minister to us Give us the strength, Lord, the discernment to know between what is true and what is false. Lord, let us keep ourselves holy, keep ourselves faithful to the Lord, and keep ourselves in the truth. We would be anchored in whatever things are true and faithful and pure and lovely and of good report so that the peace of God and the God of peace will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name, and together we said,